0: And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 247 Sports Podcast Network and powered by Beaverblitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines. I'm joined as always by Beaverblitz.com publisher Angie Machado. who just loves technology. We we love technology on the damn podcast. Here we are. We're we're trying this again. We uh we had some technical difficulties uh on, on the YouTube live stream a couple of minutes ago. I think we're all good to go now. You sound um, good now, Carter. You okay, you sound good. It- It was really bad and i know a
1: couple of our listeners responded i first i thought it was my earbuds but no it was it was definitely your end but a couple glitches i think we're good now that i couldn't get back on we're good i can see you i can hear you we are good to go
0: we've had audio cut out we've had angie unable to to enter the studio we it's we're all over the place today which as angie just said uh before we hit the record button we're not off to a great start for Montana state week. These are the weeks where you want everything firing on all cylinders. Cause you don't want to let down. And, and we just started things off with, with a, <laughs> a five yard penalty, a false start of our own on the damn podcast. So if you're watching us live on YouTube, I, I see a, a bunch of you have found our new link. Thanks for, for hopping over. If you're on the podcast side, if you know, if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple podcast, <laughs> you no like, what are you guys, what are you guys talking yeah. about? Well, yeah, we are spent the last minutes 20 right minutes here. trying to uh, trying to get everything set up. So, Thanks Carter, for joining us on clean
1: YouTube. you You got to clean this up before Pac-12 starts.
0: Yeah. Hey, this is uh. yeah, it's, it's still preseason for <laughs> right. for podcasters too, but thanks for, uh, for joining us live on YouTube. If you're watching us, thanks for listening to us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, you name it. Uh, we are, we're on there, but as I just mentioned, it's Montana state week. So Oregon state is heading up to Portland on Saturday. It's Thursday, September 15th now. So we're two days away from oregon state's voyage up to providence park where it's going to host montana state in kind of a quasi home game it's you know i i know that it, it states in the game notes that it's a neutral site game but this counts as a home game for the beavers so i don't really know what to call it i'm calling it a quasi home game but angie and i will both be there for beaver blitz we'll be up in the press box at providence park so angie i gotta ask you how excited are you uh, to take in the atmosphere up there in portland
1: oh i'm so super excited um I have not been to the new Providence Park since it's been um, more of a, an MLS soccer stadium, so mm-hmm. I'm excited to see the atmosphere and the the game day, and and then how exciting that it's a sellout over twenty five thousand Beaver fans or fans, I guess I should say, probably some Montana State fans in the mix. Um, excited to see just the atmosphere and um, get as I mean, seriously, the Beavs are two and zero. It doesn't get much better than that.
0: We're gonna break down that matchup here on today's episode of the Damn Podcast. Unfortunately, we don't have a guest with us on on this Thursday like we normally do when we are trying to preview these games and, and get some insight on Oregon State's upcoming opponents. But we're going to do our best to to cover all of the key storylines and, and take a deep dive into Montana State here with just the two of us. Uh, we'll provide some news from Corvallis throughout the week, Jonathan Smith's press conference on Monday. Uh, unfortunately, it came with some bad news on the injury front. We'll get to that. We'll talk about what Oregon State can gain from this. You know, normally when you go up against an FCS team, you're just playing not to lose. What can the Beavers accomplish up in Portland? We'll provide an offensive and defensive key to the game. And then if we have time after all of that, I want to touch on some questions that we got from Twitter. We'll do a little q and I sent out a, a tweet before we went live. And, Are we going and back to some
1: damn questions?
0: I I didn't brand it as damn questions, but uh, this this could be the first of um of our our new season of damn questions. So we'll get into that, assuming we have time at the end. But uh, as we start to preview this game against Montana State, obviously as we just mentioned, it's in Portland, it's at Providence Park. Which, Angie, you said you haven't been there since it's been reconfigured into a soccer stadium. So I'm curious. When was the last time you were there? I, I, I assume it was before it was called Providence Park. Then, yeah. was, was it PGE? Was it, it Geldwin?
1: I think it was. You know what? It was 2005 when the Beavers okay. had a uh, the spring game up up there when they were redoing the other t- the last time they were renovating Research Stadium. The spring game was held up, and I think it was PGE Park at the time. Maybe Geldwin. I think it was PGE. Um, so I don't. Maybe that was a soccer field. I don't know. I had a brand new baby. I think Luke was about two weeks old. Decked out in his beaver gear, and I got, I was on maternity leave, but showed up and got to pass the baby around a little bit. So that was the last time I was there.
0: Back in 05, it, it still at that point would have been a multi use stadium. The Portland Beavers, of course, there from uh, the minor league baseball side of things. And then the Timbers were using it um, for their not yet MLS games. They were still in, uh, a, in a lower division there, but I've been there a handful of times uh, over the last few years. I, I try to make it. Um, a, a goal of mine to go to a Timbers game every year. A goal, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm uh, haven't haven't made it up there this year in, in 22. But of course we'll be there on Saturday. So um, the uh, the new side of that stadium, you know, with the it's got the lower bowl that has been there since what 2012 or whatever when when the Timbers joined MLS, um, and it has a an upper deck and a couple of upper decks actually now on that side two, which are, are just incredible and have uh, increased the capacity there to just over 25,000, which uh, I, I think is going to provide for a pretty fun atmosphere for a college football game.
1: Oh, I can't wait. I think it'll be fun. And, and just a chance for those Portland fans that make that pilgrimage to uh, Corvallis so many times during a year to have a, a, a game that's a little closer to home.
0: I do think we're going to see a decent Montana state turnout at this game. So uh, it, it sold out yesterday. Oregon state announced that no tickets were available on the primary market. So 25,000 plus uh, tickets have been sold, but I, I think we're going to see a decent amount of those uh, be, be Bobcat fans just because, you know, it's a Pacific Northwest school. It has a pretty decently sized alumni base, particularly in Portland and Seattle Uh, You see a lot of of, of the graduates of of that school come a little further west. In fact, I mean, one of my friends just graduated from Montana State last year, and he's working in Seattle now, trying to get him down to the game on Saturday. So we'll see there. But um, I I think, you know, hearing what what, uh, Montana State head coach Brent Vegan Vegan said, I I think we're going to see a a lot of blue and gold there.
1: Yeah, and just I can't even believe how many friends of mine that I went to Oregon State with who now have kids that are going off to and choosing Montana state. So um, I know two um, that are going to be freshmen at Montana state. So their families are coming up and meeting their kids and um, they'll be probably wearing the wrong colors, but that's okay.
0: Regardless of, of how many Montana state fans are there. I think we're going to see a pretty comparable number of fans wearing orange and black to what we saw in week one down at Reiser, Cause the, the capacity at Reiser right now with the, the completing research stadium project going is, uh, I believe it's capped just above 27,000, 26,000. So, um, you know, you look at a, a 25,000 seat stadium mm-hmm. in Portland and it's it's basically the same. It'll just be a little more encompassing because you'll have yeah. seats on all, all four sides, unlike at Reser right now, where uh, it's just coming from, you you know, the, the,
1: one
0: the one side and the two end zones. So I think it's going to be loud. I think uh, there's going to be a ton of energy. I think it's going to be a fun atmosphere. I mean, this stadium is 95 years old. But it's been renovated, so it still feels pretty new. And you know, part of that stadium's only uh, ten years old uh, at at the oldest. So um, I, I think the Beaver fans that that make the trek up to Portland from you know the metro area from Corvallis, or the ones who who stay there, you know, who live downtown and, and normally make the trip down to Corvallis, uh, I think they're they're in for a nice treat as the Beavers play their first game in Portland since nineteen eighty six
1: what's going to be interesting too, is now that it is an MLS stadium and it's only an MLS MLS stadium. I know when Oregon state officials made their site visit back this spring, um, it's, there's not a lot of sideline room. And so that's going to be something to watch. Not a lot of room past the end zone, not a lot of sideline room. So, um, you know, that extra room where guys might be able to run out of bounds is not going to be there. This with this stadium.
0: Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. It, it is going to be a very unique setup. And I'm curious to see how they, um, you know, how they get some of those, those logistical pieces set up. I mean, I I think about the sidelines and I'm like, well, are they going to put both teams on, on one sideline? You know, is there room for two teams on opposite sidelines? We'll see. Uh, It's been a while since, since, since uh, Portland state has played there. Uh, Of course, uh, another big sky team, uh, Montana state has played Portland state in Portland before. So, they're familiar with the city, Oregon State, not so much. As I said, it's it's been almost forty years now since the Beavers played in Portland. Uh, after it was an annual tradition for a long time, um, so good for I, good for Oregon State, I think, to get back up and and play in front of maybe a, a different subset of its fan base and and alumni base. But Montana State coming in. This is not your average FCS team. And I I know Arizona fans are saying the same thing about North Dakota State this week. Uh, This feels more like, let's say, Oregon State playing maybe a bottom-tier Mountain West team than it does playing an FCS team. I mean, Montana State's coming off of a 12-win season. Uh, It was the national runner-up, went to the FCS National Championship game down in Texas against North Dakota State and lost. Uh, But the Bobcats are coming off of two 10-win 10-plus win seasons, and I think they're looking to get back to the national championship game this year. So, uh, Angie, just your initial thoughts on this team and um, what kind of challenge Oregon State is facing against uh, a, a lower-tier, you know, lower-subdivision opponent.
1: Well, I mean, if, if you guys watched some football last weekend, we saw what some Sunbelt teams did to some Big Ten programs. Um, we've seen what lower-division schools, and we've seen it at Oregon State. The, the toughest part about this matchup, And anytime you play a big sky or a lower division is Beaver fans are going to expect. I mean, there's not going to be any amount of points that the Beavers can score and there'll be some subset of Beaver fans that think they should have scored more. They could go out and score 70 and there'll be a group of Beaver fans that think they should have scored more or shouldn't allowed Montana state to score as many points as they did. Um, So it's kind of a, there's a no win playing a game like this. I do like Oregon state, just their mentality right now, because I think Coming off that big win against Fresno, I don't see the same. I mean, we've talked a lot about, could this be a letdown game? Could this be a trap game? Because then they have USC next week. I don't see that with this team. Carter, do you, I mean, they seem so focused, so dialed in. I don't see this being a letdown game.
0: No, in years past, you know, when Oregon State has lost to Eastern Washington and and Sacramento State, those teams have had their own shortcomings. and, And that's not to say that this year's team is perfect, but I just think that the culture... Yeah. Uh, in in the valley football center this year is is one that is not going to allow this team to overlook anybody, uh, regardless of the subdivision of of d one football that they play yeah. at. Um, you mentioned you know Oregon State fans clamoring for more against FCS teams. I, I think back to two thousand and twelve against Nichols State when Oregon State won shoot i believe seventy seven to three in that mm-hmm. game, and I remember some people saying, well, why couldn't we have shut him out
1: shut them out. Yeah. Like,
0: well, you you won by seventy four points. <laughs> what more? What more can you ask for? Yeah. Um, I I don't think Oregon State's gonna run away with this thing. I think Montana State will be able to score at, at least once or twice. I don't think that Oregon State's gonna put up seventy. Uh, so I'm I'm curious to see how Beaver Nation reacts to this because it it shouldn't be particularly close, and I don't expect it to be but you're not going to see the same score that Oregon just posted against Eastern Washington. I mean, this Montana state, Montana state team is just too good. Uh, and, and if you need an example of why, I mean, look at recent history, the Bobcats have been to the second round or better of the FCS playoffs in each of the last three full seasons. Uh, all three of those actually ended against North Dakota state. So the bison are uh, somewhat of a, of an Achilles heel for Montana state. But last year, Montana state went to the FCS national championship lost there uh, two years ago. It was in the, I, I believe the semis of semis the FCS believe, playoffs yeah. the week or the year before that they were in the quarters. So, I mean, this is a program that is consistently winning eight to 12 games, consistently getting deep into the playoffs uh, and is, is boasting some of the best talent at the, at the FCS level, which most recently just led to a, a handful of guys making NFL rosters. So, there are there's NFL talent in this program, and I, I think that is what's particularly scary about playing an FCS team uh, of of this caliber. It's you know you're you're playing against some guy who could play on on Oregon State's team.
1: Yeah, and is Jeffrey Manning remind me is he still on the roster? For yes, Chief?
0: he is. Okay. So uh, I, I've got this a little further down in the um in the rundown, in the rundown. But, we can, but we can touch on this here. So Jeffrey Manning. Uh, he's oh, yeah. he's playing a, a safety defensive back. I, I can't remember exactly what uh, position he's at in the secondary down there or uh, up up there in in Bozeman. Uh, but he played 16 games at Oregon mm-hmm. State. He was here for three years, uh, picked up a, a, a bunch of tackles. I think he intercepted a pass or two uh, with the Beavers, and then transferred to Montana State, where where he's really flourished. And mm-hmm. um, you know, oftentimes we see. Some of the guys who aren't necessarily getting the playing time they want at Oregon State go down to FCS, whether it's Montana, Montana State, Portland State, uh, and, and really make a name for themselves. And, and that's what Jeffrey Manning has done. Uh, he was an All Big Sky honorable mention last year, had 34 tackles, four interceptions, and in 15 starts last year, entering his final year of college football. I'm, I'm sure he's excited to to go up against his former team.
1: Yeah. It'll be fun to see him. He was He was a good one
0: that highlights that's one of the the many players who uh, are you know key contributors to a, a Montana State defense that has led this team to to new heights recently so let's look at the uh, the first two results of Montana State season this year bobcats are 2-0 to start the year i don't know what stands out more to me whether it's that defense allowing 15 points per game across two games or if it's the offense putting up 51.5. and a half i mean the margin of victory for Montana state. And I know it's, it's not playing high level competition yet. Hasn't started big 12 play, but uh, the numbers that that team is putting up on both sides of the ball are are pretty impressive. So a 40 to 17 win over McNeese state open the year. And then 63 to 13 last week in Bozeman against Moorhead state. Uh, uh, those are, those are two pretty lopsided wins right there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, the bees are going to have their, their, you know, work cut out for them. I, I'm not, I don't want people to overlook this team and think this is going to be a a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination.
0: You look at those scores and you think, okay, well, let's, let's dive deeper into it. Let's see how they're getting those points and and how they're limiting their opponents to 15 points a game. Well, this offense, this Bobcat offense, Angie, what if I told you it's averaging 564 yards (laughs) per game? And what if I told you that 325 of those are coming on the ground?
1: Well, I'd tell you that Oregon State's defense better be ready. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: There's there's athletes at, at all of the different skill yeah. positions on that roster. I mean, you're gonna see receivers running the fly sweep. You're gonna see multiple quarterbacks running the ball uh, and, and running the ball well.
1: They, they do then, a two quarterback um, don't they? They use two quarterbacks.
0: Yes, yes and no. I, I think part okay. of that is just because their margin of victory has been such Thank that you. you know they're they're pulling the starter. Uh, for Tommy you know,
1: Mellet, right? Yeah.
0: Tommy, I, I believe it's Mullot. No, Mullot. Um, I guess we'll find out on Saturday, but I, I, I will admit I haven't watched a ton of Montana State film.
1: Okay, uh, so Carter, then you you tell me that the offense is putting up 564 yards. What if I were to tell you that the Montana State defense is limiting opposing offenses to only 281 yards per game.
0: I'd tell you that that my research is paying <laughs> off there. <laughs> Put that number in the rundown and Angie pulls it out like it's her own stat. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> um, no, did
1: 200- far for being dumb, Carter. <laughs>
0: 281 yards per game uh defensively is, is impressive. I think that's about the mark that Oregon State posted in week one, actually. And, and we were clamoring about how good Oregon State's defense looked in that game against Boise State. So obviously to see Montana State do that on a, a two game sample size, uh, it's proving that it wasn't you know a fluke to do it in week one. So this this team, the Bobcats are averaging 15 points per game against through two games this year. And you look at the quality of the opponent they're playing and you say, okay, well, you know, those teams probably shouldn't be scoring a ton of points on them. So I'm gonna throw this one back at you, Angie. Oh the entire 2021 season, this is 15 games, mind you, because okay. they advanced so far into the FCS playoffs, Montana state allowed 15 points per game all year last year. So this is a 17 game sample size. Now the last 17 games, Montana state has only given up 15 points per game. Does that concern you at all?
1: It uh, does for, because for that, Oregon
0: state's offense.
1: I mean, that sample size, I, I don't have their schedule pulled up, but that's obviously playing a couple, you know, payday games as well in there. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, I think Oregon state's going to have to have their a game. They're not going to be able to maybe, um, you know, think they can just show up and, and walk away with a win. So um, it's, it's, it scares me a little bit too with Luke Musgrave out and we'll talk about the beeves here mm-hmm. in a little bit, but um, hopefully, I mean, and again, I guess we'll talk keys of the game, but this is a game I feel that Oregon state really needs to get that running game established.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the payday games and, and last year, Montana State went to Wyoming and and only lost by three. I, I want to say the final score of that game was 19 to 16 or you know something really ugly like that where mm-hmm. Wyoming probably goes in and says, all right, let's beat this team by 28 and, and get out of here uh, and and sure enough they're they're winning by a field goal in a, a really ugly game where there were a lot of field goals kicked uh, if, if I had to assume looking at that score. Um, so this is this is Montana State's first payday game. Uh, since that season opener last year in 2021, um, it, it concludes the non-conference schedule for both teams here. Uh, and uh, you look at the the payday that Montana State's getting to come to Portland, six hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. Which, interestingly enough, this is this is a coincidence and it's a scary one. Six hundred and seventy five thousand dollars is the exact figure that Montana got. Last year to go to Seattle and beat Washington, so a coincidence. Hopefully, it doesn't you know produce the same result. But six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars to to go beat an FBS opponent that worked out pretty well for Montana last yeah, year. It, Montana State's probably thinking, "Hey, why not us?"
1: I mean, that's so rude. We just paid you six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars to come beat me at home. Just be my homecoming game.
0: Hey, Appalachian State just made uh, what a million to go beat Texas A&M. Georgia yeah. Southern made a Georgia million Southern. to go yeah, to go Nebraska. fire Scott Frost. I mean, yeah. these payday games are, as Oregon State fans are aware, and as you and I are, are certainly aware, uh, they're, they're no gimme for. No.
1: How about A&M? App State, by the way? They um they took North North Carolina the week before to the wire. Yeah,
0: yeah that's a good program <laughs> down good in the program. Sun Belt. Um, so the uh, the the news that came out of Bozeman this week. Mostly has to do with injuries, and I think it's okay. very similar to what we heard in Corvallis uh, from Jonathan Smith this week. So, uh, the the news in Bozeman, and and this is concerning for the Bobcats. I mean, this could end up being uh, absolutely problematic for this offense. Bobcats are without four running backs this That's... week. So, I mean, think about Oregon State's depth. What would we be saying if Oregon State was down four running backs? Well, we're like, well, it's a good thing that they have five on the two deep, I guess, but. <laughs> you know Montana state rolling with 63 scholarships doesn't have the same depth no, that Oregon state has no. and so when you say all right well your top four running backs are out um i don't i don't really even know how you begin to approach that yeah as, how do you as even an FCS school.
1: You're, you better hope you have a uh, jack Coletto on the team that can yeah. come back and play for you uh,
0: i guess that's where their their mobile quarterbacks come into play quite a bit too but uh, looking at the names of of some of the guys who are missing Uh, this weekend's game in that running in that running back group alone. I mean, this is striking. So Isaiah Fonse had knee surgery. He was an all American last year. He's actually coming off of setting the single season rushing record at Montana state. He posted, I I believe it was just under 2000 yards on the ground last year. Um, He was on pace to set the career record as well. Uh, but is going to miss a few more weeks after having that knee surgery. So the fact that he is not on the field this weekend, Oregon state has to, to consider that a, a massive win. Cause that's just, I mean a heck of a weapon that the yeah. Bobcats are going to be without.
1: Huge, God, like, huge
0: Kagan Williams is out uh, with a neck injury for the year. I believe he suffered that in fall camp. Uh, he's, he's wearing a neck brace up there for, for Montana state. Jared white with a lower leg injury could also be out for the year. Lane summer. It's more of a short-term injury with his elbow, but I mean, like I just said, that's, that's four guys right there. Uh, Your entire depth chart is, is unavailable. I mean,
1: can you imagine, I mean, Oregon state, like you said, we have five on the two deep, but if you had four of them gone.
0: Yeah. Things get scary real quick. So for Montana state, it's going to be Elijah Elliott starting at running back. He's actually a, a Portland native. I believe he went to central Catholic. So, um, I'm sure he'll be fired up to to get the opportunity in this homecoming game for him. I I don't have a scouting report on him, but um, I, I know that uh, that Montana State's going to look to to establish him right away because because he is the option in the running game um, out like I said outside of the the mobile quarterbacks.
1: It's it's something to watch definitely.
0: The injury bug is not just limited to the offense up there in Bozeman. A couple of defensive starters are out. Cornerback Devin Davis had shoulder surgery and is out for the year. Uh, so one of the starters of, of, of their pretty strong secondary is out. And then a, a, another defensive back in, in safety, Rylan Ort, uh, failed a drug test earlier on and is in the middle of a six-game suspension for that. So a handful of, of key players, you know, that's, that's two defensive yeah. starters and, and an All-American running back who are unavailable for Montana State. And man, you talk about the margin of error for, for a team like the Bobcats going up against Oregon state. It, it's so slim that, you know, I, I think you look at the personnel issues and you say, man, that's, that's gonna, that could create some serious problems for Montana state.
1: Definitely. Definitely. That's, it's, it's always bad when you have some injuries, but when they're focused like that, where you have four running backs and two defensive backs out, it just, it, and when you said, like you said, 63 scholarships, it really, it really will, will cut into their depth
0: they're going to rely on their two quarterback system. I I think, you know, even again, I said, I, I didn't you know keep up with the game flow of, of their first two games, but if this was a situation where Sean Chambers, their Wyoming transfer backup quarterback came in because the games got out of hand, well, he produced. And so I think, you know, even, even if he wasn't originally going to be part of the game plan and, you know, in a, a close game or what Mm -hmm. Montana state hopes to be a close game against Oregon state. Maybe you see him come in because he carried the ball 14 times, 150 yards and four touchdowns when Mm -hmm. he was on the field. So I I think if you're down four running backs, you have to say, well, we got to do whatever we can to get chambers on the field because look at what he just did for us in the first two games as a back. Maybe, Maybe he
1: comes in as the running back. So yeah.
0: I mean, you never know. it. Brent Vegan said they're gonna they're gonna get creative with their offensive game plan. Whether that's throwing the ball more, whether that's getting different guys looks at at running back. Um, you know, he he obviously wouldn't say, but um, I, I, I'm I'm curious to see what they throw at the Beavers, considering the challenges they're facing personnel wise. Tommy Malott is the starting quarterback, as we just mentioned a couple of minutes ago. He's the primary guy there. Uh, and, and he's more of the he's more of the prolific passer, so he's a dual threat option, and he's he's run for a touchdown or two, I believe, as well. Uh, but you look at his passing numbers, and they're pretty impressive. So sixty five point six percent completion rate. He's twenty seven of forty one. That's very solid. Four hundred and forty seven yards on twenty seven completions is quite efficient. Yeah. And then he's got four touchdowns to no interceptions. So he's taking care of the ball. He's making plays with his arm and his legs, and he's efficient in. All of the above. That's that's a quarterback that you know has a potential to lead Montana State's offense against Oregon State's defense.
1: I, like I said, I hearing the two quarterbacks. I, if I'm Montana State, I put the backup in as the running back and let him work with his legs and, and maybe throw some trickeration in there. And I don't want to give them any ideas.
0: <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm not uh, an offensive the Montana State coaching staff, is listening to this. Plug your plug your ears. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think about. The teams Oregon State struggled with in the past, you know, Eastern Washington Mobile comes to mind. Um, some of the teams that cause FBS teams problems on an annual basis, a lot of times it starts with a star quarterback. So, I mean, Vernon Adams at Eastern Washington certainly was uh, was a weapon and, and scored, what, 55 points or something against Oregon State.
1: Mobile quarterbacks have kind of been Oregon State's Achilles heel for 20 years.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll see if uh, if if Trent Bray can dial up a system to contain him because I, I think the Beavers did a pretty good job of containing Jay Kaner last week, uh, keeping him in the pocket. Uh, out, outside of the, the quarterbacks and running backs, Montana State's offense, again, it's, it's just loaded at the skill positions. So uh, they've got athletic wide receivers and tight ends. You're going to see both of those groups getting involved uh, in, in the running game. They have uh, quite a few ways that they try to get those guys the ball. Wide receiver Willie Patterson has three touchdowns already through two weeks, which you know that's that's another impressive mark. Uh, they've spread the ball out quite a bit. So I, man, I look at the stat sheet, you see like five or six guys in that receiving core have a touchdown already, and and that's impressive because it just shows you that it's not just one guy that they're yeah. looking to, to to get the ball to. It's not like Oregon State can just line Alex Austin up against one guy and say, all right, we shut down your offense. You're going to see linebackers, safeties, you name it, get involved in in defending this Montana State passing offense.
1: Yeah, and that especially then, if you add the mobile quarterback, this is not going to be a, an easy task for uh, Trent Bray.
0: Defensively, Montana State again, like we mentioned, is has also caused all sorts of problems for 15 its yards
1: a, or 15 points a game for 17 games. It's that's impressive. Kind of like all you need to know. That's
0: that's that's really impressive stuff. Uh, Jeffrey Manning Jr., the former Beaver, is a key part of that. But outside of him, safety/slash nickel Ty Okada, is is one of the leaders of this entire team. Uh, Callahan O'Reilly at linebacker is another All Big Sky returner. So some veteran guys on a defense that, like we said, was was one of the one of the nation's best last year and so far through two weeks this year is is one of the best in FCS again.
1: Callahan O'Reilly. Wow. That makes me want to like have a Guinness or something.
0: I was going to say that's pretty Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen any pictures of him, but I'm not sure. I mean, there's, there's some red hair potential.
1: Some red hair, potential Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: The second half of the show, we're going to talk more about Oregon State, touch on some news from Corvallis throughout the week, uh talk about what Oregon State can gain from this and and of course provide our keys to the game. But first, I want to remind everybody listening that beaverblitz.com is the place to be throughout Oregon State's football season. The Beavers are off to a 2 and 0 start and we're off to a great start at Beaver Blitz as well. Our numbers are through the roof and we have to thank all of you for helping us reach a new all-time high of subscribe or of um, of of subscription numbers, not only on YouTube, but also on beaverblitz.com. You're helping us grow, and and we thank you for that. Uh, And we're doing our best to provide you with the content that you are craving as Oregon State looks to compete for a Pac-12 title. We talked to Jonathan Smith on Monday, and Angie, I want to get your takeaways from his press conference, but for me, nothing stood out more than the injuries.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest, especially when you hear that Luke Musgrave is, he kind of caught himself. He said um, he'll be out a couple weeks, and then he kind of caught himself and said, well, this week, and then we'll have to see day to day. Um, I've heard from other sources that Luke could be out a couple weeks. Hopefully, that means a couple weeks, and he's back ready to go for the 24th for USC coming to town. I guess fingers crossed if you're a beeper fan there, but um, Trey Lowe will be out this game. Um, Alton Julian, they said it's is, is day to day. So we'll see if he makes his return or not. Um, again, day to day. I see. Yeah. There's Brian Miller asking a word about Alton. He has been practicing more, but he's still somewhat limited. He's not going full, but I don't know. Carter and I've kind of talked about this. I could see him maybe getting in a little bit during Montana state, but I think you want to try to save him if he's ready to go. Uh, for USC
0: yeah there's an element of I mean Oregon State has said Montana State has our full attention and I, yeah. I, I don't doubt that and I'm sure Oregon State is uh, coming at the, the Bobcats with a, a full game plan and they're not looking ahead to USC as as big as that game might be but I do think there's an element of caution here with some of these guys I mean could Trello play this week if he really needed to maybe I mean we don't know it's we possible know. could Alton Julian play this week he might uh, could Luke Musgrave play? It sounds like maybe not. No, um, but but I think with with some of the guys who are more borderline, like a Julian, um, it, it just makes sense to hold them out this week and and save them for a bigger opponent. I, I think Oregon State, even with these injuries to to a couple of starters, I mean Musgrave in particular, um, even even with those injuries, Oregon State should have enough to beat Montana State and and to do it by a couple of scores. But where it gets really where it gets really hairy is if Luke Musgrave is out next week against USC. Cause I think that's a game where if Oregon state wants to have any chance of winning Musgrave is going to have to be, if not fully healthy, at least on the field and, and serving as a target
1: in that passing game. Yeah, exactly. And that's, they're going to need that bigger body. It's, but it's frightening when you look at SC and Utah back to back and Stanford, you have three weeks back to back to back. Um, Yeah.
0: Brian Miller asks in the YouTube chat, do we think Oregon state could be playing mind games with USC about Musgrave and, and to that, I I would say probably not. Uh, like Mm -hmm. Angie said, from what we have heard, this, this does sound like it could be a multi-week injury. Um, they're not going to go out and say that it is just yet, which, which tells me that there is a chance he plays against USC,
1: but. But Even in the lodge, we've had people posting that they've heard a couple weeks. So, um, and I don't know. We don't know. It looked like a leg, hip potential. Yeah. So we don't know what it is. They haven't discussed that. But
0: yeah, that's that's the big one from this week. That's the but that and
1: the most. Isaiah Newell. Um, I guess he's mm-hmm. still a little day to day. They said it was a non-football injury. So
0: whatever, whatever, whatever that that is, whatever that means. That's two, uh, that's two fifths of Oregon state's running back group out. So we talk about Montana state being down four. I mean, Oregon state's got its shortcomings there as well. And I think this is a week where we really want to see Oregon state establish the running game and, uh, to have Trello and Isaiah Newell out. Well, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the emphasis is going to be on Deshaun Fenwick and and Damien Martinez and probably a little bit of jam Griffin as well to get that done because uh, I don't think they quite accomplished what they were hoping to last week, even though they did have a little bit more success in that realm. Other interviews from throughout the week I talked to Jim Holichuk on Tuesday and you know I, I had actually I had kind of forgotten I, I knew at one point that he had coached at montana State um but i I had forgotten about it until he reminded us on on Tuesday uh, and I don't think I rec- I don't think I realized even then that uh, that he had spent. I believe he said seven years in oh, wow. Bozeman. Um, so one of the many connections, uh, you know, Oregon state has connections to to coaching staffs all across the West coast. But uh, one of the few that it, it has to Montana state uh, coach, Mahalachuk said he's really proud of, of what Montana state has accomplished since he spent, uh, you know, about seven years there. When he got there, the Bobcats were coming off of, what he said he thought was a, a zero win or a one win season. And now you fast forward to, to 2021 and they're appearing in the national championship game and, and coming off of that now in, in 22, in, in, in 2022, um, it is really impressive what that program has done. And obviously you have to credit coach M uh, in, in helping build that program up because, because we know how impressive and accomplished of a coach he is.
1: Yeah. And you know, that's something I think people forget when coaches move on. They still keep tra- tabs on, on their old team. I mean, I, I know the half the, the San Jose State coaching staff keeps tabs on the Beavs. A couple of them are still Beaver Blitz members and check in and, and will text that they're, they're watching and cheering from afar. So that happens everywhere, and um, it's fun to see.
0: I also spoke with Jake Overman on Tuesday. Uh, of course, Oregon State's other Starting tight end, I, I put in quotes because it's really only when Oregon State's in two tight end sets that that we see him out there. But he is listed as a starter. Uh and and this week he's going to be tasked with stepping into the the tight end one role. You know, he is he's the guy in that group with Luke Musgrave out. And um, you know, he said with the experience he has gained learning from from Tegan Quatoriano and, and Luke Musgrave over the last two years and, and playing a decent amount uh on special teams and and catching a pass as a freshman against Arizona state in that final game of the 2020 season, uh, he's had enough time to develop and and prepare for this moment. And I think he's really excited to, to show what he's capable of.
1: Yeah. Exciting to see him get his, his chance.
0: What can Oregon state gain from this game? Angie, I, we've, we've talked over and over about how this is a, you know, this might be a potential trap game for the Beavers. This is one that you can't afford to lose. Uh, you're paying your opponent so much money to come in. You have to take care of business. All of this is like anti-losing stuff. But obviously Oregon State has has proven and, and always will uh, prove that it's it's playing to win. You know, Oregon State's not just looking to go out there under Jonathan Smith and and take care of business and beat Montana State by seven points and squeak this out. No, I mean, Smith proved it himself last week on the final play of the game. He's there to win the game. And I'm sure he's uh, he's hoping to... Uh, to walk away with a big one here. So if Oregon state is to go and and impress and, you know, take care of business in, in, um, you know, in strong fashion, what does that look like for you?
1: I think number one, in my opinion, they need to walk away without any more big injuries. Um, Have to limit injuries because they have probably the toughest stretch of their schedule coming up and they need as many healthy players as they can get. So, to me, that is my key: is is to limit injuries. But um, I want to see a win. Obviously, um, I'd love to see them establish a running game and be able to establish that, and and also, you know, get some turnovers. We saw five turnovers in that first week, and then zero last week. So um, I'd like to see the defense um, get some get some turnovers there, but also maybe do a little more pass rush, sack the quarterback a few more times, show just just show some domination. So. Um, those are kind of my three things I'm looking for.
0: Yeah, I think getting the running game going is is my biggest thing. Uh, Something that was a disappointment in week one. I I think we saw a a minor step forward in week two, but it wasn't quite efficient enough to say, oh yeah, Oregon State's running game is back. And I I think when you're going up against an FCS team, you expect to win in the trenches. You expect your skill position guys to be a little more talented. And, and, And this is a week where Oregon State can uh, I, I think if it if it lives up to its potential in, in yeah. this game, um, you're going to see the running game have a lot more success. And, you know, hopefully for, for their case, they're up by enough points where they don't need to pass the ball and they're just trying to to run the clock. And I, I think that's an opportunity to to really pound the rock and, and focus on the run game there.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Getting some younger players some action too, yeah. If if this thing gets out of hand or if it's, you know, comfortable at, at halftime. Who are some guys that maybe you want to see get a little bit of run this week? Let's say if, if Oregon State has a, a three touchdown lead in the third quarter uh, and it's it's looking comfortable and you know they're they're rotating some guys through. Who do you want to see get in there if, if that's the case?
1: Well, honestly, I I love this these types of games for the reason I'm trying to get some true freshmen, like true you know Dylan Lopez, um, Donaldson, Malaki Donaldson, um, gosh, some of these guys, true freshmen. They can play up to four games and keep their red shirt. So get them in, let them get some game experience. Um, So I would say basically that entire freshman class, if if the lead's comfortable enough, it'd be great to get them some run and let them go out and and show their hand a little bit. Um, But yeah, just the younger guys, just let them get in. Maybe we see some Ben Goldbranson. Um, It would be nice to see him and get some, some game reps there.
0: Look at last year against Idaho, Sam Vidlak came in for a series or two. Uh, yeah, a quarterback as a true freshman and, you know, put up a, a couple of completions and and I think got a first down or two. And obviously that's good for his early career um confidence. And I think if, if Ben Goldbranson were to get in, you know, it's only a second drive of of his career after uh, playing that final one against Arizona State back in 2020. So if if you're working towards him being your quarterback in two years, uh, this is, you know, an, an opportunity um, for him to, to get some action. Bo R in the YouTube chat suggests Easton Mascarenas, John Dunmore and, uh, and, and Madison, if that's referring to Teron Madison, I don't believe he's, he's not on his roster, on the roster, roster. Uh, but John Dunmore is, is one, you know, we saw him come in for that trick play against Boise state. And, you know, we said, okay, he's, he's making plays one way or another. I, I'd like to see him get some run in the, in the receiving core, if the opportunity arises, but yeah, for me, it's it's that freshman class. It's the Dylan Lopez's. It's the Melvin Jordans. It's Melvin the Jordan, Matthias, yeah. Uh, Milwaukee Donaldson. You know those guys who came in as as highly rated, highly touted recruits, uh, who, are, who are just not quite ready to crack the two deep. Or I mean, in some cases they are. Yeah. Um. But but not quite ready to to actually get into the rotation on game day. This is a great opportunity to give them to give them game experience against collegiate. Uh,
1: I'd like to see too the second string O line get in and D line. Yeah, just because I think those guys need need the work too.
0: I think you want to see Oregon State win comfortably with no mid game letdowns. You know, play full four quarters, get out to an early lead, build on it, and then don't let it up in the fourth quarter. That's generally a a pretty positive game script when you're playing against an FCS team. And and basically what what the Beavers did against Idaho last year, if I remember correctly, I, th- I think that was pretty much a all right, we got the lead. Now let's build on it. Uh, And and Idaho never really put up much of a fight in that one. Um, Forcing turnovers, getting to the quarterback, I think is an area that, you know, the Beavers last week did a good job of getting to the quarterback. They just didn't finish on it. In week one, they forced five turnovers, but then in week two, they didn't force any. And so I think uh, putting all of that back together in one game uh, is it, it serves as a, It would serve as a nice little launching point as you go into conference play to see, all right, well, we just did it again. You know, we don't just have one data point to go off of. Um, Let's move into our keys to the game. I've got mine. Uh, I'll I'll let you go first if you have something different from what I have.
1: Um, I'm just looking at yours. So my offensive key to the game is going to be to establish the run and just pound the rock. OK, uh, so control. so
0: different from mine. So, yeah,
1: yours is different. So yeah. I, I want to see control the clock, pound the rock and really establish. I, I felt like Fresno State, when, when you look at the stats, they looked good. Um, you know, it was like, OK, they, they actually picked up yards. But when you actually were watching the game, it just felt like chunks. You know, it wasn't really coming yeah. in any kind of consistent form.
0: There were two, maybe three runs of like 10 yards. I think Martinez had one and Fenwick had one, but yeah, to your point, no breakaway runs. We didn't see Coletto take it for 41 yards like we did in week one. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, none of the running backs actually, you know, the the legitimate running backs, not, you know, Coletto excluded, uh, none of them have broken free for anything longer than I think 10 to 15. So uh, yeah, it would be nice to see, to see them get that going this week for me. My offensive key is just to limit turnovers, and and I'll tell you why. Obviously, that's a you know that's a point of emphasis every week, but I, I think it's particularly important this one in this one because Oregon State's going to be able to move the ball. The Beavers are going to score points against Montana State. I, Fifteen points a game is impressive, but I mean Oregon State's just a, a different animal offensively than a lot of the teams the Bobcats are playing. So I think Oregon State's going to score. It just needs to limit. Montana State's opportunities to keep up and one way that you can do that is to hold on to the ball you don't want to let the Bobcats get extra offensive possessions uh, you don't want to you know score 21 points and then all of a sudden you're, you're stalling because you just fumbled you know or yeah. you don't want to you don't want to go up 14 nothing but oh no we just threw a pick six and now it's a one score game you know mm-hmm. hold on to the ball keep building up on that score uh, and, and just don't give Montana State any chances to keep up with you. Montana State head coach Brent Vegan said that in order to beat Oregon State, they're going to need to force turnovers. You know, he he recognizes that the Bobcats are going to need as many possessions and uh, particularly extra. Is that my phone? No, it's your No,
1: phone. That's me. it's okay. me. Um, I just muted it.
0: Um, it, it, in order to keep up, they're going to have to force turnovers and and you know give themselves opportunities to keep up and and you know if if they're pointing that out as one of their keys to the game, well, one of my keys has to be to counteract that. Yeah, uh, we saw Oregon State hold onto the ball last week against Fresno State, and I think it was the difference. You know, Fresno State didn't get any opportunities to to build onto their lead. I, I think nine was as as wide as it got. So again it's it's a point of emphasis every week but i think in particular when you're playing an fcs team it's it's really important to hold on to the ball just yeah no you know, free chances yeah exactly
1: um defensively what, what is your key uh
0: do you have the same one as me
1: well kind of i my my that i had on my note was to um create more of a pass rush but in hearing more about what you're saying about the quarterbacks i i think it's total legit to contain the qbs and yeah. i think that's they kind of similar containing them pass rush get to the quarterback is is the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, I I think even less so than getting to the quarterback this week. This is more of a containment week, yeah. and yeah. Um, we saw the Beavers do that so well last week. Getting pressure, but but holding the edge. Uh, you know, Hayner didn't have opportunities to scramble out of the pocket <laughs> and. More often than on, more often than not, he was just forced to get rid of it early. Uh, he's he's a mobile guy. He's actually got some sneaky speed. He just didn't have an opportunity to show that because Oregon State did a great job of holding the edge. And I think against Montana State, a team that wants to use one if not two quarterbacks and and run them a ton, um, holding the edge and and not letting them get outside of the defense. You know, if, if they're going to beat you with their legs, you you want to make them beat you through the pocket. You know, step yeah. up and beat you there because that's where you're all defend where all of your defenders are um, where Oregon state could get into trouble is if, you know, you've got a cornerback leaving his assignment to, to take the quarterback because he's running down the sideline,
1: yeah. Um, yeah. just
0: containing those guys, keeping them in the pocket. I think that's going to be big, especially since with four running backs out, I think you are going to see the quarterbacks yeah. run quite a bit. Gonna I, I think you're going to see more designed runs.
1: Yeah. And, and that's going to be huge. If they can keep them contained in the middle of the middle of the field, you cannot have them sprinting down the sideline.
0: Those are our keys to the game. Limit the turnovers offensively, uh, get the running game going, and then defensively uh, to contain Tommy Malott and Sean Chambers. We've got about 10 minutes left, so that's uh, it works perfectly. I wanted to get some listener questions, some damn questions, if you will, into this episode, and so we'll consult with Twitter on this one. Angie, I'll throw a couple of questions your way, and I'll, okay. I'll touch on some of these as well. But Brian Miller asked a serious question and a fun question. And I think both of these are are worthy of some attention. So the serious question is, do you think Jonathan Smith commenting that Luke Musgrave may be out more than a week is playing mind games again against USC? We already kind yeah, of answered that one. Um, the fun question is if Jack Coletto ends up trying his hand at coaching in the future, what position coach, you know, head coach, what position coordinator, whatever, uh, what what would his role be on a coaching staff?
1: He's a smart kid. If you've ever, I mean, he's an in, he already has his engineering, mechanical engineering. We're not even talking like n- nothing against the construction engineer management, but because that's hard too, but he's like an ME, tough stuff. Um, already has his degree. I would, I actually would like to see Jack in the offensive coordinator type roles because I think he's crafty enough to really um, maybe out scheme some people. Um, he knows offenses really well being a former quarterback and he's kind of played every position out there. So offensive, I'd say offensive coordinator.
0: I mean, he called his own play on the game winning play. He (laughs) went to Jonathan Smith and said, Hey, I I actually like this look better. Jonathan said, all right. And and he scored a game winning touchdown on it. So yeah, that's, that's got all the makings of an offensive coordinator, right? I mean, he's just
1: one of those smart cerebral kids that um, are young men that um, I think, would be suited to be kind of an offensive coordinator, cerebral, out scheming. I could see it.
0: But then he has the defensive and special teams expertise to also bring that to the mix. So I maybe know. you see him I start know. his career as an offensive coordinator, work his way up, and then. And but then think about how deadly him. that
1: is. That's just it. Even like as a quarterback, when you have a quarterback that knows defenses too, and yeah. that just helps the way they read. I mean, I think about Mason Moran and never really got a shot at quarterback at Oregon State, but being that he played DB and quarterback, he had some really good knowledge of reading defenses and, and being able to, to change play. I don't, I, yeah, I think Coletto, I think I'd love to see him just offensive coordinator help.
0: That's yeah, a really valuable trait and, and one that I know that the offensive staff uses quite a bit, you know, what are you seeing yeah. here? You know, he's, what's, what's our offense bringing on this play? And, you know, both when he, when he's at practice, they, they kind of work in tandem with that. Mm-hmm. You know, the defensive guys want Coletto to work there because he's a linebacker by trade. And then the offensive guys obviously spend all sorts of time with him because of the Coletto package. And they kind of, sh- they kind of bounce ideas off of each other in that way.
1: I He's going to do things in life. Uh, I'm excited to see where he goes.
0: Uh, Brian Miller also asked a question in the YouTube chat that I don't think we can uh, let slide here. This is a, a great question and, and very timely. How are we feeling about Aiden Childs being a four-star prospect? So I know.
1: I was going to mention that. That's pretty it, awesome. Yeah,
0: I was I was curious, Angie, if you had seen that because I, I think that happened, I mean, maybe even today.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it happened today. I knew it was coming. Um, I mean, I knew it was coming potentially when he committed just because Greg Biggins is so high on him. I'd love to see the other services kind of get with the program, but... Right now, twenty four seven does have him rated as a ninety, a four star. So um, he's just been doing some great things. I don't know if you guys have followed kind of what he's been doing as a prep with his prep career, but um, super excited. And how fun is it to watch him cheer the beeves on from Southern California? And you can tell he's already super excited to be to be a beef.
0: Oregon state's 2023 quarterback commit is now the 17th rated quarterback in the country. According to 24, seven sports, it's a big time get for, for Jonathan Smith. We knew it was at the time when he originally committed, but I think you and I both expected him to kind of take off and to, to see his, you know, his recruiting ranking for whatever it's worth um, kind of shoot through the moon as his, uh, as a senior year progressed, we'll move back to Twitter here for Rick Scheidner's question. He asks if it's okay to look ahead to USC, and uh, I, I think because we're not in the Valley Football Center and we're not affiliated with the program, I think it's okay for us to do that. So, so let's go ahead. They're focusing on my Montana State. We're going to look ahead to USC here. He asks what a strategy, what is a strategy to offset not having Luke Musgrave available next week if he's not able to go against the Trojans? Uh, Rick says the, the the passing attack is is going to depend on the receiver getting open in the flat, and I agree there. I think. Uh, you're going to need to see Treshawn Harrison uh, lock things up as a receiver. Yeah, I was going to say, he a,
1: we need those guys to catch some balls.
0: He, he did a great job of that in the second half, bounced back pretty admirably, admirably there. So you want to see him lock things down as the primary guy. Uh, he's He's been competing with Musgrave for the most targets on the team. So I think he becomes your most important guy. And then uh, you'd also rely on Anthony Gould, Silas Bolden, some guys who – Angie and I have touted as, as playmakers, I think you'd rely on them stepping up and and being your, uh, you know, your number two, number three guys, anything I, I, else to add there? I,
1: I think with USC's defense, just their size and speed. I think we see a lot more of the, you know, kind of fly sweep little bubble screens um, just getting the ball into a Silas or an Anthony Gould, getting the ball into their hands and, and letting them do do some things to offset some of that size and speed that USC has uh, linebacker and uh, DB.
0: Now, here's an idea, too. Let's think back to 2008. How did Oregon State beat the Trojans back then? I think they ran the ball, what, like 40 times? Mm-hmm. Jaquiz Rogers? Uh, yeah, you can see the running game. Uh, Could it be
1: Damian Martinez's breakout game?
0: Who knows? Just
1: saying. <laughs> true freshmen have, uh, have had some
0: success against USC in the past, particularly just when saying. the Trojans are ranked in the top 10. Uh, just keep an eye on, on that. I, I think that's... I think that's why it's so important for Oregon state to get the ground game going this yeah. week, because if you go into a conference game against a top 10 team without your leading receiver, uh, yeah, you better hope that you can move the ball yeah. on the ground. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Tom Molinari asks, have you heard any word about the Beavs possibly hosting college game day next weekend against USC? Uh, short answer is, is no long answer is I, I know that Nick Daschle, uh, that, uh, you know, Oregon Live, Oregonian uh, tweeted something and, and wrote something about uh, Oregon State being on ESPN's radar for that game. I don't know. It's going to take a lot for game it's day to come out lot. west.
1: Because I that's don't. also Washington State, Oregon, which is another big game if they're going to come west.
0: It's, yeah, it's, yeah I, I, I don't see it. I think, uh, more likely than not, you know, if Oregon state's getting a game day appearance,
1: it'll maybe be on Oregon the road state. at Utah, yeah, um, or... maybe at
0: home against Oregon at the end of the year, I think it's just a little early. I, I
1: think you if know, I, they were going, if they were really, truly interested in bringing game day, the ESPN would have taken that USC Oregon state game for their four thirty yeah. or their 1230 slot. Um, because then the team would have been in, in place
0: that was the telltale sign for me when I saw that that game got relegated to the Pac-12 network. And we're going to talk about that a ton next week. That's like going to be half of the podcast rundown. Um, when I saw that, I said, okay, well, there's not a chance game day is coming out. Cause if ESPN doesn't want to, um, you know, if, if ESPN doesn't want to allocate a, a slot on any of its three, four networks to get this game on national TV, why on earth would it, you know, want to come out for game day? So um, yeah, I just I just don't see it happening this week, but maybe later on in the year. I, I, I wouldn't count it out entirely. Uh, we've we basically answered this question already uh, at HMB 8404 asks out of the following eight young potential impact players uh, who uh, how many of these guys do you want to see? And then he lists eight guys. And I, I think we pretty much touched on all of them basically when we said who we might get to see this week against Montana State. Um, yeah,
1: Velling's another one. I totally forgot about him, yeah. but tight end. I, I could see him definitely getting played. He too. also
0: lists Takari Hickle, and I I think it's still a little early for I him. It's early for him, uh, but Quincy Wright maybe defensive line. Uh, I I wouldn't count that one out. Uh, you know, if Oregon State's blowing out the the Bobcats this week. Pat Beaverman asks, "Will Benny the Beaver be chainsawing the log every time the Beavers score a touchdown like Timber Joey at the Timbers games?" Um. I really, really hope so. I would love to see that. <laughs> but this goes back to what Angie was saying earlier about how there's no, like, there's no room on the Michelle on Bowen. the sidelines or in the end zones. I don't think there's enough room for that giant log in the end zone. It would be awesome to see Benny Beaver, you know, uh, chainsawing a chainsawing a big chunk of log every time Oregon State scores a touchdown. But um, I think, logistically speaking, more I than know. anything, I just don't know that there's room to put that thing out there. <laughs>
1: Okay, Carter, I'll, I'll ask the question from Bo Rinker. Would you okay. rather go eight and four and win the bowl game or 10 and two and lose the bowl game?
0: 10 and two and lose. It <laughs> has me too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's no brainer. That's, uh, it's a no brainer to me just because, and I mean, I'm not going to discount the question because I do think it's a little thought provoking. I mean, I, I just think it's, well, what? Do you value winning the Holiday Bowl more than you value losing in the Fiesta Bowl? I mean, like, Give me give me a new year six bowl game any day. I don't care what yeah. I don't care if Oregon State loses by fifty. That's exposure yeah. nonetheless. Um, I mean, last year, shoot, Oregon State went to the L.A. Bowl, and I said I don't care what the Beavers do in this game. This is a win. Um, I I just think you know if if you were to win ten games and get to a high stakes bowl like that, um, no matter what happens, I, I think that's more important than than winning a lowered lower tier. And building. you,
1: and you have the momentum all season, you know, when you're 10 and two, just the momentum going all season. It's is huge.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're 10 and two going into the bowl game, you're probably a, a borderline top 10 team. If you're eight yeah. and four, you're probably a, a, on you're the edge out of the, the top yeah, 25, and, out of the top
1: 25 and recruiting. I mean, recruiting, yeah. fundraising, everything's going to be better with a 10 and two. And, a, you know, a better bowl game, even if you get blown out.
0: Primetime TV slots late in the year, college game. More day. Money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I
1: mean, it's, it's like no brainer.
0: Yeah. Chantry uh, star finally asks if Oregon state's four and one after the Utah game, what record would be acceptable at the end of PAC 12 play? And I, I really like this question. So I saved it for last just because I, I, I think it gave, it gives us an opportunity to talk about how Oregon state is already on its way to a pretty successful year. Because when we sat down and we gave our season predictions, we went game by game. I said, all right, Oregon state's got a really tough non-conference schedule. If it goes three and O, I think the Beavs are an eight, nine win team. If it goes two and one, I think the Beavs win somewhere between six and eight. Well, we're here, you know, September 15th and Oregon States, two games away for two days away from potentially being three and I think if you start the season that strong, and if, if that continues on to four and one, you're looking at a a nine win team, maybe 10.
1: And, and unlike Carter, I went out on a limb and said it was a 10 and two (laughs) team to begin with. So, um, I did pick a loss. Fresno and US or Fresno and Utah were my two losses. So yeah. theoretically, I got an extra loss in there because ten and two, baby, ten and so two. You heard it
0: here first. Oregon State's going eleven and one because I beat Fresno State.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, but <laughs> that gives me a little cushion because USC is okay. looking better than I expected yeah. them maybe to look. But I still don't. Their D line, I think, is suspect. What, uh, what, what yeah, we'll wait. We we have next week to talk about USC, and we have two whole podcasts to talk about USC. Or not two, I guess. But depending on how Sunday night goes, I might have to eke in a little USC talk.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I think on. we'll preview that game a little bit. Um, <laughs> but that's going to wrap this one up. That's uh, that's all the time we have. Thanks to everyone for sending how in Twitter questions. How do we make questions. this an Kinda, hour?
1: Good job, it's because of the,
0: the Q&A. It's, and the q
1: and I know. Yeah, Damn people, questions uh, rock.
0: People uh, game, came through for us on on short notice. I tweeted that out. So thanks for everyone uh, sending in questions. Thanks for everybody who joined us live on YouTube, even though we had the technical difficulties yes. to begin with uh, quite a few of you found us. So uh, thanks for, thanks for, uh, you know, waiting and and being patient with us there. Uh, thanks to everyone for for listening to us on your favorite podcast app as well. We appreciate your support on that platform too. We're going to be back on Sunday to recap Oregon state versus Montana state, probably look ahead to USC as well, as Angie said, Uh, But until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado one. You can follow me at Carter Bands, and we'll talk to you again on Sunday for another episode of the damn podcast.